it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gopalan, Peter V.S. Bolland, and Brian Gildenberg, Explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Hello, folks, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where, of course, we explore the omni-channel digital journey of brands and retailers. I'm your co-host, Sri, recording on my own today, because this is actually what a pleasure to do this from my home in Los Angeles, California, which I rarely ever get to do. My co-host, Peter Bond. Partnership Acceleration Lead at Flywheel Digital and Brian Gildenberg, Managing Director of Retail Cities, are back at their respective homes, hopefully enjoying a New Jersey or New Haven pizza pie. Before we get to our guest, let me remind our audience to visit cpgguys.com on a web browser where you can find links to our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. And if you're not already doing so, follow us on LinkedIn, where we publish new content each and every day of the week, seven days a week, even on the weekends. 
Also subscribe to the other podcasts in our collective, including the FMCG Guys, CPG Scoop, and the newest edition, CPG Guys Fast Forward, starring our very own Brian Gildenberg. We're proud to be sponsors of Next Up, formerly network of executive women whose mission is to advance all women in business and to promote gender equality in the workplace. If you're a female founder or do not have a sponsorship through your organization, let us know at contact at cpgguys.com. So just drop us an email there. Again, at contact at cpgguys.com. We're happy to sponsor your membership to this elite organization. Also excited that this episode's focus will actually be about somebody. Well, I'm going to call this moving from retail media leadership to HVAC leadership. How about that? You're wondering what that means, and I'm about to tell you in a few. And why I chose this particular guest is I watched this guest who was actually a previous guest on this episode. And I watched this guest grow from a dream of an entrepreneur startup just 24 months ago, maybe 25 months ago, to acquiring a portfolio of 10 companies over two years. So much more to come. So let's get to the main event. Kelso Industries and Grayzak Mechanical are both companies that our guest is a CEO of. They're both HVAC mechanical and plumbing services companies. And our episode today is rightfully focused on a leader, like I said, who was on the show back in 2021, representing none other than Fortune One, Sam's Club Retail Media as a media expert from Arkansas. In fact, thanks to him, we got introduced to more people at Sam's Club and Retail Media, and we've had more episodes since then. One day back in 2021 summer, he called me about changing his career and his ambition of owning and scaling a company and entrepreneurship. And he asked me what I thought. My answer to him was, absolutely, don't miss out on the opportunity. <laughs> a year later, here we are. Two years later, here we are. I've stayed in touch. He's stayed in touch. Let's welcome back to the CPG, guys, my friend, Steve Carroll, <laughs> CEO you. of both Kelso Industries, Krayzak Mechanical. And I have the wildest suspicion this is going to be much more than two companies, 10 companies. Yes, sir. <laughs> well into the future. So we will see more and we're going to decompose what that looks like. But this is about... American entrepreneurship at its absolute best. That's what we're going to talk about today. This is why we live in this great country. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thanks Welcome for to the having show. me here. Thank Welcome you. to the show. And thanks for driving. Is it 90 minutes over to do this in person? Eh, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's worth it. Man, that's what we want to hear. That's why he's a CEO of a portfolio <laughs> group of companies. So great to have you join us today. Before we get to the questions we've prepared for our conversation, would you please share with the audience a brief overview of what Grayzac Mechanical is? I believe it's an acronym. Mm-hmm. Decompose it for us and then talk to us about this amazing portfolio of companies that you've acquired and you actually own, which is, yeah. again, amazing entrepreneurship. Yeah, I will. Um, well, Grayzac Mechanical, that is a company based in Phoenix, Arizona. It's the first company we bought. Set us off on this crazy entrepreneurial journey. And it is a acronym for the previous owners and their kids. Gary, Rhonda, Adam, Zebulon, Amanda, Caleb. And we were able to take that company and spend a year running that business, making all the mistakes in the book as a new entrepreneur you possibly can. Learning and growing every day. I was working so much. I was stressed out of my mind every day. But we were able to pull through that and we've got, we're able to partner with some great capital partners and we've expanded a lot since then. Uh, Kelso has blossomed into 10 companies that we own and we're really busy keeping the, the growth machine going. This is good busy, Steve. So we'll of course include links to your LinkedIn profile, which is a fascinating profile, by the way, for everybody to look at as I talked about the transition from retail media into the world of mechanical work. And of course, your corporate site that you think that is the best suited for our podcast in yeah. the digital lighter notes of this episode, so that the 90 plus percent of people listening to this episode on their mobile devices can do so with one click. Yeah. And I'm going to kick it off now, Steve. Are you ready? I'm ready. Have a lot of fun. Let's go. So, Steve, your career, of course, when I met you, intersected with Peter and me on the CPG guys at Sam's Club. Yep. And it seemed to us you were all set. I mean, your knowledge base of retail media as an incubator. I call you one of the founders and incubators of retail media because when in the last three years, retail media has really grown phenomenally. But it wouldn't have grown unless people like you invested the time, mm-hmm. harvested it, created things like sponsored ads, the app, how to get banner ads out there, and a whole bunch of things mm-hmm. going, right? 
So I think of you as one of the retail media leaders in the industry. And to us, it was clear you were going to be the next one. Whether Sam's Club or not is irrelevant, retail media leader in the industry. What prompted you to seek entrepreneurship back in the spring of 2021? And then I do want to follow up and I'll come back and ask you this again. What advice would you give to someone just like you fairly early in their career in this space seeking to follow in your footsteps? But first tell us, what prompted you to wake up one day and this was this a calling? Was this planned for 10 years? Like, how did this happen? I had so much fun in the retail media industry. I always mention Abby, Abby Shack, who's over at Lowe's now. He and I have... By the way, he's a good friend of the CPG guys. He's been over. He's, we've had him here as I've, well. I've seen him on here. Yeah. And I, he and I stay in touch. And so really fun to see all the progress you guys are making. Thank all you. the progress Abby's making at Lowe's, all the progress Sam's has been able to take from the very small little retail media business to what it is now. And even Walmart, when I was at Walmart on the media and the marketing side there, it was just a fledgling couple hundred million dollar business to now it's a multi-billion dollar retail media operation. It's just been a blast for me to see this thing blow up and explode. I felt the calling to do something entrepreneurial for a long time. Back when I had my previous career, I was in the construction management business and I couldn't quite formulate the... What were you doing in construction management? Th this was before Walmart. I was managing large projects. Uh, universities. Were you in the field? I was in the job site trailer trying to project manage these construction jobs. Gotcha. So you had some experience... Touching labor in the field, building things. Correct. I'm, I'm making it sound very naive here, of course. Yeah, no, that's great. It, I learned so much about managing people and myself and managing large streams of work. The construction management business is a business of herding cats, right? Because you have 50 to 75 trades on a job site to go build something. It's, it's a lot of work. And so I managed... A number of projects here in Southern California gained a lot of life experience, eventually shifted from that to Walmart and found myself in the media business at Walmart in Bentonville, managing the co-op program. I don't know if you remember. Oh, I do. Very co much. Co-op oh, yeah. marketing program. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mike Elgis, who now is at IRI, IRI. He, he and... A number of other folks who have all left Walmart. My gosh, I didn't know that you knew Mike. They, Mike, small, Mike interviewed me. Mike interviewed me, and I, I basically got the job at Walmart because of Mike Elgis and a number of other folks oh, that have split off, split off. Yeah, really fascinating, and found myself in the media business all of all of a sudden. But what's fun about media is there's a process, just like you are to building a building. There's a process to getting media live, and I just fell in love with it and eventually was poking around all the time constantly. I found myself over at Voodoo launching their retail media business yep. from scratch. Uh, they eventually sold off and, the re and that's not necessarily retail media anymore because it's disconnected. But we were building that into Walmart's WMX data, connecting the two together. You're fascinating guy, Steve. <laughs> you still remember all of that. Oh, yeah. Can't, I can't forget it. It was too fun. And uh, then Abby and I got to talking one day and he pulled me over there and we started building the, the Sam's Club Media Group business and exploded that. So what led me to what I'm doing now, I think, is just a passion for building. And that's clear because Voodoo, you were part of the incubation. Mm -hmm. Sam's Club, you were part of the incubation. Yeah. Prior to that, you were in construction in the field, managing a herd of cats. Yeah. Trying to actually project manage what I would think is a diverse group of contractors doing many different things in construction, mm -hmm. yet trying to meet timelines. And eventually when the building's done, you feel so much pride for this massive, beautiful architecture, all these things, you just pour your whole heart and soul into it and then it's finally done, right? I can only imagine the <laughs> sense of accomplishment when you see the whole thing. It warms your soul and I didn't feel like we were done at Sam's Club, to be honest. I felt like, obviously, you've seen it keep growing and you know very well it, it continues to grow the map. Show's very good friends with Lex Josephs now who runs that. I show. imagine. She came from Walmart. I imagine you are. And so it's great to see that that's kept growing, but this shift that I made was many, many years in 
bugging my now partner, who's been my best friend since fourth grade, to leave what he was doing and partner in some way. And How awesome. So you actually went back and contacted a childhood friend of yours who went to grade school with you, fourth grade, yeah. and you all decided to start this entrepreneurial we, we've been We've literally stayed in touch. We were uh, roommates in college. We were friends in high school. He went his career path of the finance and investment banking, the Wall Street career path, and obviously I went mine. Me too. And I had been literally bugging him for 10 years to do something together, and he told me no. Every idea I had, everything I pitched to him was no. I'm not, I, that's not for me. I'm not kidding. It was literally 10 years. And wait, so 10 years he says no, and then you pitch to him the idea of being an HVAC, and he says, let's do it? Yeah. <laughs> Man, that, that's crazy. <laughs> yes, it is. Crazy. Looking at your results, not so crazy anymore. But if I go back 27 months in time, like many other judgmental people, the CPG guys would have said, that's crazy, but clearly you've proved everybody wrong. <laughs> I, some of it is, you know, when you try a hundred times, eventually one thing works, right? Now, it was a little bit of nah, that kind nasty. of a thing, right? Entrepreneurs have it in their blood. They don't try a hundred times. They try a maximum of three and they get it. Yeah. Definitely not a hundred. <laughs> I appreciate that. And you know, he's really smart. He knows the the bigger picture as it relates to sourcing capital and working with private equity and those kinds of things. And I'm really good with people, recruiting, partnering. I'm sure operations. your experience working in corporate America for as long as you did, eight to 10 years, gave you the people experience that you're... I'm, I'm going to come back and ask you this question later, how that translates every day. Every day, I would say. Every day. Walmart was a incredible leadership training ground for myself that I, even today, people were asking me a little bit about why now, and I didn't feel like I had the maturity 10 years ago. I, I probably wouldn't have been able to work through the level of difficulty and the level of challenges. I'm sure there's a lot of disappointments too. There is. It's not all people up and to the right, right? Um, most of our working relationships are good, but in, in business in general, there's plenty of situations that are really hard to work through. And as a, you know, this point in my career, I did learn a lot from being at Walmart, how to manage difficult situations, how to have an executive presence, how to lead, how to, how to, how to actually use your fundraising. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to, you have to inspire a lot of confidence someone to invest in you. Otherwise, they don't feel like their money is going to get a return. You know, what we won't discuss and I won't ask you on the show is what you invested or how much you had to borrow, et cetera. But I know the number and it's phenomenal. And I can only imagine how those skill sets must have translated to creating a pitch deck and pitching to investors in the yeah. room. But let's say um, somebody early in their career, a young person comes over to you, they're five, seven years into their career. And they're like, Steve, what is your advice for me? I want to be an entrepreneur. What would you share with them? Mm, great. Would you great say question. do it? Uh, only five or seven years into their career? I would say it depends on each person, right? For me, I probably wasn't mature enough to do what I'm doing now if, if that person were to come to me 10 years ago. Um, I probably could have made it work, but I would have made more financially painful mistakes, right? And a lot of it... So do you feel your corporate journey and is that advice you're passing on actually learn what you can from your corporate journey and use it? A hundred million percent. Entrepreneurship is a little bit strategy, a little bit execution, and a lot of it managing people and inspiring teams and recruiting. Wow, that's actually great advice. So you said... Little bit financial, little bit strategy, but it's largely managing people. Yeah. The stories we get to hear on the CPG guys for brand founders who come here often is quite the reverse. Mm. They say it's a little bit of strategy. They agree on that part. It's a lot of execution. And they usually have teams of two or three, but you have 10 companies. So how, how large is your team? Uh, well, that is a good point, and that's probably a small I'm just curious differentiation. Though, for our audience, though, how large is it? A small business, a total startup, I would totally agree. You have to wear all the hats, you have to execute on everything. And in a way, that's still us at a higher level, right? 
we have to develop the strategy. And that's where most of our executions applied to is developing the resources to continue to grow. In the early days, I was estimating projects. I was selling projects. I was solving it all. I was doing a lot, right? I was getting out into the field, getting into people's homes. Oh yeah. And, and I was solving customer problems. I was going to play golf with vendors to keep that relationship strong. What's been great is we've been able to grow and, and my team and the management of our organization has expanded the strategy structure people training that we got at Walmart. I apply that every single day. It's fantastic to hear. We developed the strategy, we developed the structure, the org chart, if you will, and then yeah. we source the people to execute on our strategy. I use that every day. Look, man, I'll be honest with you and tell you, I would have never comprehended that for an HVAC, I want to say conglomerate at this stage. It is. Because that's what you're doing. Yeah. For an HVAC and mechanical conglomerate, you'd actually have an org chart. But I'm fascinated now, which leads me to ask you, tell us more about Grayzak Mechanical, which is your holding company and really your first venture, right? Yeah. You started that first. You were living in Arkansas. Yep. And you acquired in Arizona. Arizona. Yep. So how did that happen? Like, how did you even know that there was a Grayzack mechanical available for you to want to buy in Arizona? And then what was your thought process? Like what were must-haves for you? What were you willing to yield on? And um, when you came in after you acquired it, how hard was it to assimilate? So many good things to cover there. That, that's great. Bring me back. If the I, first if piece I is sitting in Arkansas. How did you even know? Okay. Why Arizona? Well, we developed our strategy, right? We're going to do HVAC. And so this is you and your best friend, as you described. Correct. And when we did that, that was honestly where the unlock happened because we knew we were going to do this. The question was where and how and who and all those things. And so, you know, that's not his strength. That's my strength is figuring it out. So I started Googling, right? We all use the internet. We use Google. So I started Googling and how did you land HVAC in the first place? Why not a car wash? Going back uh, on the strategy. So now I can articulate a little better. If you were to ask me three years ago, it wouldn't be so clean. We are reverse engineering the private equity model. And the private equity I model. got you. How fascinating. The private equity model has a very clear path to an exit and a very clear path with public comps in the space. I have never heard a person in the mechanical space, leave alone HVAC, that includes plumbing, construction materials, you know, interior uh, buildup of anything, chimney, fireplace, I'm looking at all flooring, ever say to me, I'm working as though I'm reverse engineering private equity to sell it someday. This yeah. is the first time I've heard yeah. that. Yeah. Well, you, you continue to fascinate <laughs> me, man. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. And in in some ways, it takes away from the glory because we're not doing anything that hasn't been done. There are three publicly traded mechanical operations, HVAC operations that are on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, Two of those are multi-billion dollar operation. Well, if you include the equipment companies, there's more. Gotcha. But as far as service, service providers and, and contractors, there's only three. There's a few that offer some service, uh, some HVAC services, but it's not their main focus. There's only three that have gotten there. But what's happening is there's a lot of other private equity companies that have figured out that there's a huge $350 billion market and there's only three companies inhabiting you know let's just say uh 15 billion of the 35 billion so there's plenty of addressable market for you yes and so when you've now expanded to 10 companies how many states are you in we're we're currently in 13 states 13 states yeah we have a thousand employees we have uh arizona was the first company we acquired we were able to partner partnership is what we call uh, we buy the company from the owner, but that owner buys some shares into our holding company, which is actually called Kelso Industries. So the holding company is Kelso, not Grayzac. Oh, correct. Gotcha. The holding company is where everyone owns their shares. 
Gotcha. And that is what owns the companies, the LLCs. But you run them independently. Correct. Separate P&L line. Correct. Separate P&L. They have separate P&Ls. They have separate leadership, separate management. I manage that org, org chart So you're the clearly. CEO of Kelso. Correct. I'm technically the CEO for Grayzac, but there's a president who's been doing this for 35 years. He's way smarter at it than I am. I defer to him on everything for that business. Got it. And then we have VPs underneath him and they've been in it their entire careers too. So we have very good people in all of our companies. And really we help drive some of the high level strategy and help bridge some of the companies across and help each other. Or normally they're just busy working in their silos. And then two years, three months into this, how often are you in the field? Do you still ever go look at a construction project, make an estimate, go double check estimate, any of that sort? I'll be totally honest. I don't anymore. Um, We've been able to refine our team better with that Arizona operation and People are just, you know, that's what they do all day, every day. Expertise. They're experts at it. Those people report up into my organization. Um, But I learned a ton during the first year because I didn't have anybody else to help me. I had to do all of it, right? The husband and wife that sold us the business left. And the wife did the finances and the husband did the sales and operations and estimating. And I had to figure it out really quickly. And you did all of it. I, we were able to hire a few people, but it, it all fell on my shoulders. And the, the stress of running that operation. Fascinating. But we still didn't answer how Arizona. Why not Montana? Okay. Um, it, that one's also a little bit less sexy too. It just came down to opportunity. And... But you found it. I found it. Um, I flew out there and on my own dime, flew out there on a weekend, met with the owner. There's a website. I'll give one of my secrets out to your audience. It's called bizbysell.com. Like B-I-Z-B-U-Y-S-E-L-L.com. Yeah. Bizbysell.com. If you're in the corporate world and just kind of curious at all what this entrepreneurial world might look like, I encourage you to go on to Biz Buy Sell and just start poking around. It's actually like the Craigslist of buying businesses or um, Zillow of buying businesses. So people are listing constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Buyers are trying to source. Correct. The business buying and selling world also has brokers like you do in real estate. And so there's a broker for almost every business and they list their business on that website. It's just gained a lot of market share. How fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you I went to Biz Buy Sell and that's where you found it. Yeah. I found this thing. And then you flew over one weekend yeah. with the owners and you said, this is, this is for me. Yeah. Yeah. Took forever. That's how it happens, man. It took just, no one showed me how to do it. You know, just took, my partner didn't believe me that this Biz Buy Sell thing was even real because he's. That would have Wall been Street my knee jerk reaction, by the way. Yeah. Right. So I can't really discredit your partner here, <laughs> but now. You proved it. So obviously we don't, we can take for granted that it works. Yeah. We've bought a number of our businesses from that avenue. And I I would just say for anyone, hey, I'm looking to get some experience in buying a company, poke around on there, get some information from some brokers on some businesses, buy where you live, check it out, go see the business, go talk to the owner. Usually they won't let you talk to the owner unless they think you're very serious. So there's a... Some sort of a gating process. There, there is. Yeah. So which, you want to make sense. You want to do your homework okay. ahead of time. But that's, that's basically how I found the Arizona operation. It was right time, right place, right size, had about 17 million of revenue. And it was big enough to where I wouldn't literally have to do everything. Because if I was doing the work out in the field, we would go bankrupt. <laughs> I, I don't believe that, but maybe two years and three months ago, not anymore. No. Um, so at least at the time, I felt like I, I wouldn't be very good at doing that work. But that was how I got started. And so um, you come in, it's a summer day in Arizona in 2021. There are existing employees who probably stayed with the owner, husband, uh-huh. wife for a while. Yeah. You're the new boss. Mm-hmm. What did it take to assimilate in? 
How okay. did they, how did they see you on day one? There's a new boss, and he's coming all the way from the eastern side of the country. Yeah, that was a crazy day. So I have to add, I didn't tell you this. This transaction happened on May 28th, 2021. You'll never forget the day, of course. I'll never forget the day. Three days later is Memorial Day, I believe. We're in Arkansas. We're having a barbecue, a backyard barbecue with all of our friends. There's five families and all the kids are running around. We're playing basketball and I'm kicking everybody's butt in basketball. And I go to shoot and I, I thought as though someone had kicked my left leg really hard. Ouch. And I turned around and I was like, what was that all about? And they just looked at me weird like, what are you talking about? Steve? No, no like one's ghost you. Is there a ghost? Because it, it was, this was a big deal. And I started to panic because I realized no one had kicked my leg. My Achilles ruptured. Oh, my God. Yeah. Three days after you <laughs> closed the deal. I'm not even okay. in the same state as the company that we just bought. So you can't get on a plane then? Not very easily. And my partner, my wife calls my partner and says, you know, Steve's going to the hospital. He had to play basketball. He had to outdo everybody. Uh, He's the next Kobe. I had to try to be the next Kobe. And we went to the hospital and the lady's like, uh, he called it a sprain. It was not a sprain. I've sprained my ankle many, many times. Um, I later found a, a doctor that actually properly diagnosed and helped me through. But how, put, how long did that take? Oh, this was a seven, eight, nine month process to be able to walk wow. properly again. So you were on crutches that time? I was on boots. I was on crutches. I had a boot and I had a knee roller. I rolled around on that knee roller. In fact, my leg is still a little atrophied because it, it's just two years later. Yeah. But you've been on the move, arguably you've been on your feet I, a lot. I, I'm basically back to normal. It's still rehabbing a little bit. Unbelievable. So, so that, that happened three days afterwards. I got on a plane the next day and wheelchaired myself through the Northwest Arkansas airport. I know how that is. That's not fun. It's not Especially fun. As you, did you fly American or Delta? American. That's American. not fun because you got to go up the ramp. I had to figure out how it's, to go. It's up. a 15 degree ramp. Yeah. Nobody, I was, I had to get there so early because I needed to be there to present myself to the employees for of the course. company we yeah. just bought on a Tuesday, right? So I had to catch a really early flight and it left at like 5 a.m. or something. So there's no one How'd there. How'd you get to the airport? My wife dropped me so off. So you open up a wheelchair, you get on the wheelchair and then you wheel yourself I, all the way in. I, I, had to 5 wheel, I had to wheel myself all the way to the gate because there was no one there because the wheelchair service, that person hadn't got there yet. So that was my whole oh, thing is like, wow. it felt like the world was against me to do this. And I feel like I had to will myself to so, go do so this. Tell me something, Steve. So obviously that's a dark moment. And in those sort of dark moments, things can go either one of two ways. You pull yourself into the darkness it's difficult to emerge from that darkness and you go into very unhappy times and life doesn't end up the way it is. Or you power through and life ends up the way it has for you. So yeah. what was your inspiration to power through? Because you have. Yeah, I, I literally feel like I had to will myself through it. And I mean, I didn't want to give up on something I felt like I put everything into also up to that point. Besides, you know, my, my job with Sam's Club, I put money into this thing like i put it on the on the table i can't imagine it's a small number so this must have been some considerable part of your savings to your corporate career correct and i didn't want to disappoint my wife i didn't want to disappoint my childhood friends three beautiful children grade. right yeah but what signal would that have been to my kids to say i'm not going i ruptured my achilles and really um i couldn't walk normally but i could still function normally if i could figure out how to get around. I eventually got the knee roller and it was awesome. I was flying through those airports because I would fly home. I would fly out and fly home every week for how six long, months. How long? For six months for you six were on months. your own? Yeah. And so where did you stay and how were those six months on your own? Um, well, I made sure my partner came. Steve Nicholson is his name. I said, dude, you're From not... New York? Uh, he eventually relocated back to Utah. To Utah. So he was in Utah. I was in Arkansas, and I would make sure he got his butt down there too. 
to Arizona. <laughs> so we didn't have a lot of money, so we shared a residence in together for six months, Monday through Friday. Entrepreneurism at the grassroots level. Yeah. So residence in Monday through Friday. Yeah. In, and you'll figure Phoenix. out this plot from a residence in. Yep. So you mentioned you're flying in from Arkansas. Obviously, you were at Sam's Club, right? We talked a little bit about this, but how did your training at a corporate environment, especially in retail media and all, not only were you getting trained in retail media and building it, you were also making relationships with tons of vendors. Yeah. So vendors is nothing new in your life, right? Yeah. So how did that actually prepare you for this? I would say it was everything because even early on when we first started talking to our investors, they would want to know, hey, can I trust you with this investment? Do you have the leadership skills? Do you have the presentation skills? Can you inspire a team? Can you develop a strategy and a vision that will yield a, a return for us as an investor? And so I think about my time at Sam's Club and Walmart. I was there seven years as everything because when I first got there, I was a little timid. I was not confident. I didn't speak with conviction. I probably couldn't have inspired anybody, but after seven years and going through the grind of going to LC meetings and pitching and presenting and developing decks and convincing really Expand LC for audience, uh, leadership council meetings and presenting ideas to them to invest in retail media and put dollars to work. Entrepreneurship. It was, it was. You can be an entrepreneur inside of a big company and leverage those skills in the outside world. And I'm going to argue outside of big companies, there's a huge need for that skill. Huge need. There's thousands and thousands of baby boomers that are retiring and who's going to take care of their business afterwards? The people like us that have spent a large portion of our careers in a corporate setting are trained for those environments and we're very well suited to step in and learn a new industry provide value uh teach sales training develop all the things we've talked about all the things you do building a team inside of a big absolutely company, you have to do it inside of a small company too so steve it's fascinating to hear that you can actually take everything you've learned from a corporate career and apply it in the entrepreneurship world. Now, since you started and went through staying in a residence in for six months, and your company is now worth millions, millions in two years. And it's, and it's 10 companies, if I got that right, mm -hmm. under Kelso. So tell us a little bit about all the portfolio companies you have now and you're managing, as well as how do you make decisions on if you want to go to 11th or 12th? Like what drives that? So, so the overall strategy of what we're trying to do is build a nationwide service provider. And that involves us building plumbing, HVAC, sheet metal, refrigeration, kind of the, the scope of our services in every market. And so we've been able to capture 13 markets. And 13 states, as you said, so 13 cor markets. Correct. And as you know, many states have multiple markets. And so I feel like... Now, are there different regulations in every state that you got to there, abide there by is. codes? Yeah, there so is. Have you had to learn all this? I, I know enough to be dangerous, but that's part of my strategy is when I buy a company, I partner with the owner there. I don't let them leave. I work a deal with them and say, hey, I want to be partners with you. Why don't you buy shares in my holding company? Yes, this is true private equity work in the making. And now I get the connection. It's a 180 degree difference doing that versus buying the company outright like yep. we did in Arizona. Yep. I can go way faster if I do this partnership so model. So is that what you've followed since then? Correct. You've kept the existing ownership. Yes. You've bought into own ownership shares, you know, whatever that might be, fractional yes. or not. Yes. And they are essentially running the company day to day for you. And then you're managing it as a leader. Correct. I assess whether this business and if this owner has a cultural fit with me and our core values that we carry with us every day, which we're actually getting better at 
We've started writing those down. We're refining it. You know, all the leadership principles oh, like yeah. we have in big companies. Oh, yeah. That's something else you learn from a big company that we're able to apply. Um, we're refining that. We're presenting it. When we approach an owner, we assess, hey, does this person fit what we believe in? And if it's a no, then we move on, right? Because when you don't align on those leadership principles or those core principles, you're just going to have a fundamental issue. You don't want to just buy the business. So we work through that as long as that's there and the business has the financial fundamentals that we need. I can work with anybody like that, right? Fascinating. I can grow for a very long time. Going back to that market share, there's thousands of fragmented owners. Sure pieces yep. all throughout the US in every single market. So my goal is to grow to a billion dollars of top one. Does that mean many more such acquisitions? Many more. Yeah. Many and more. so you live in Arizona. You talked mm-hmm. about 13 markets, including Arizona. You're in California too, I assume. Correct. That's what brings you here. Yep. Correct. How do you get around to 13 markets as the CEO? I build a really good relationship with the owners in the beginning. I see them a few times. They come see me, possibly. We talk on the phone. We make sure that's very, very strong. And from then on, just like you make a good friend, you don't have to see them face-to-face as often as you would someone that you don't have that cultural alignment. So we develop the cultural alignment, and then my team connects with them more often. I have a whole finance CFO organization that we bring in and that we support these companies with. So you got a holding company CFO and finance group that's really training, teaching, looking, evaluating, sharpening, all of the above. Correct. After we buy a business, they kind of come under our wing. You're not running a HVAC company. You're building a private equity company, startup, a large startup, arguably. It was a startup, but now you've acquired a bunch of companies. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a large startup. To really someday maybe even go public, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, if we if we can grow this thing to a billion dollars, we can eventually have that conversation for sure. What a great ambition to have. Now, in terms of metrics, right, or in terms of what you're looking for, before you say yes or no to an acquisition, what pushes you over the edge to say, I need to go back and finish the deal on this one? The, the thing that is the best case scenario for me is the owner of a company, the founder of a company is still excited about it. Still cares for the employees, still cares for the customers. Maybe they've reached a point where they don't know what to do next. They might be concerned about taking on more financial risk. We're so big, we're so much bigger, we can take on more risk because we've spread our business across so many markets. This person is able to take some chips off the table, but still continue to grow and see their brand and their business grow. I don't change the name of their business too. So So each one of the companies you've acquired has held on to its name. Give us some names in different states. Um, I have a company in Idaho based in Meridian, the Boise area. That's called Advanced Heating and Cooling. We have um, a business in the Southeast. Th- these are hardcore HVAC companies, oh, right? Yeah, I totally get it. Uh, DHR Mechanical Services, their number one customer is Walmart. Which state is that? Arkansas? They're, they're actually based in um, Atlanta and Atlanta, Tampa. So Georgia and Florida. Yep. And their number one customer is Walmart. And that business... Did you know that? I, I found that out in the process. So it's kind of funny how the uh, circle happens, right? Comes around, yeah. Um, um, that is unbelievable. And uh, what's the one in California called? That one is called Retrofit Technologies. They, they go into large skyscrapers and um, hotels. And eventually those buildings need to upgrade their HVAC system. Absolutely. And there's very large equipment in those buildings. And they go in and they're experts in that. They'll even fly down a helicopter from Oregon and spend half a million dollars flying up this very specialized equipment to the top of the buildings. Good golly. These people are absolutely the best at their trades. And when we bring them in, I feel like I'm building my own personal dream team, right? Clyde Drexler, Carl Malone, Michael Jordan, all those guys. I, I'm building a dream team of... HVAC mechanical plumbing. This is, this is 
Fascinating. Let me remind our audience that we're speaking with Steve Carroll. I will now say CEO at Kelso Industries since it's the holding company. And, uh, and also a reminder to state that why are we talking to somebody who's actually a CEO at an HVAC company? Because he's building a private equity empire. That's what he'd start. And he actually comes from Walmart and Samsung. <laughs> so uh, that training in retail media, I'm going to go back to that for a second. The world of customers today, no matter what they're seeking, I'm a great example, right? I've done a lot of work in this house we're sitting in right now. HVAC is one of them. Yeah. And the way I found my contractor who came and did the work for me and services it twice a year, like I'm one of those who's religious about getting the service done. That's I'll good. take the detail of asking if you're replacing a capacitor, show me things of that nature. So I had to find a contractor who will actually understand that I'm not trying to be too nosy or judge, but I like learning. Yeah. And so we just replaced a capacitor and they okay. see that's actually 50 feet from us over here. Okay. And I good. wanted to see how. Yeah. And so in, but I found them online. Yeah. There's, there's no other way to find people anymore or word of mouth. Recommendation is a big sure. piece today, right? Sure. And it's also fascinating how Yelp, which started really as a food based destination, is a place where you go to look for reviews. You don't go looking on Amazon.com. You don't look on Google reviews anymore because there are just too many fakes, unfortunately. You go to Yelp for service recommendations. So how is that training in digital media advertising is helping you today with digital reach of services, which has obviously exploded over the last yeah. three years. How are you staying ahead? Are there specific advertising methods to get your company? I'm sure you've come into these 10 companies and you bought some or of digital, your digital training into these companies to be found. Oh, yeah, it's, it's funny. You should bring this up. Some of the companies that we buy don't even have a website. Wow. And they've been able to build up these, these word of mouth. Word of mouth. They've got referrals. They've got customers. They're usually more commercial in nature. And yep. so there's kind of that repeat B2B. nature, B2B. Yep. So for me... Um, I'll take the lead of what's needed, but usually getting a new website is, is on the list. And that's been one of my things that I've enjoyed. I'm not, I'm not a graphic designer, but I built the Grayzack website from scratch. What do you mean? I built it from scratch. I got the domain. I connected it to a hosting. So you, you provider. actually built it yourself. I built it. I got the theme. Uh, I, oh, by the way, I wouldn't have expected anything less. <laughs> I also built the Kelso Industries website, and I maintain that right now. It's just kind of a passion project. Eventually, I'll have to hand that off to someone that's better, but it's been really fun to see those websites get a lot more SEO and integration into the digital marketing world. Generally, in the commercial and industrial space that we play in right now with Kelso, we don't have to spend much in advertising, but we have to spend money in other ways, building a relationship, making experiences. And how do you do that? Um, well, coming from Walmart, this feels like a gray area thing to do, but you know, taking people to lunch, taking people to dinner, taking That's Walmart's to philosophy doesn't mean that it has to be yours. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, as Fortune One, they have a responsibility to the world. Sure, sure. So I understand why in Walmart's ways, there are certain ways. And, and it's worked for them, right? And look, man, as long as we're doing ethical things and we feel good about the ethics we practice, that's the only thing that should matter. A hundred percent. And at the end of the day, you're going to do business with people you like and trust. If I trust you, I'm going to treat you better and you're going to treat me better, right? So we're, we're engaging in this huge... Keyword is trust. The key word is trust. And how do you build trust? Time, time with together. an individual like yeah. we're doing right now. Yeah. You, you spend time together. You get to know them. You find out about their kids. You find out about their goals. You try to help each other accomplish their goals, whatever that is. You care about them. Stuff happens in business. When it happens, you help each other work through it. In, in business, I would say that's one of the reasons why we spend in that way instead of on advertising with Kelso. From a residential side though, we have some residential and so I study and I'm up on that space too. You have to spend a lot on advertising. It's a digital. huge deal. Digital advertising. How about in Paper like the mailers that come home? The marketing world went way heavy into digital, right? And so that left open... I'll tell you something though, right? 
we've done a lot of work. I mentioned there's all kinds of stuff in this house. Construction work. Think of all the materials that are going into it, yeah. including HVACs. I found my HVAC contractor online. Mm-hmm. Lately, my wife and I are saving the neighborhood mailers that come in, which is like a little book that yeah. usually have the 30 service providers, a plumbing company, HVAC company, just one after the other, mm-hmm. um, flooring company, a tile company, things of that nature. It stands out because not everyone's doing it anymore. But we also want to use people from the neighborhood. Yeah. You know they're a part of the community. If they're willing to invest in the booklet, then you know they're trying to build trust they with here the long term. They're here long term. Some of our companies and some of the companies I know in the space are way heavy in the marketing side. And I, I geek out about that. We could talk about that for days for sure too. But it's the training from Walmart was awesome on how to build a holistic marketing program and not just focusing on one, one or the other. Only. Yes. Why, why not buy the billboard? So will I see you when I'm watching the Super Bowl? Will I see you as the next guy <laughs> waving from section Kelso. 104 Kelso with a Kelso t-shirt? Not Kelsey, to be corrected. Not, not, not Kelsey. And Kelso, um, Kelso was the name of our elementary school that we met at, my partner and I. Kelso Elementary is, School. Is that how you got the mm-hmm. name? That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. That is awesome. Makes it fun. There's that connection back. And also when we go talk to people that are new and we say, hey, why don't you partner with us? And we tell them there's that deep of a connection. It immediately puts a smile on their face and makes it easy for them to relate. So I can totally relate. See, Peter and I have known each other for 30 years. Wow. 30 years. And I called him. We say the story often. People ask us, how did the CPG guys get started? I called him three and a half years ago and said, hey, do you want to write articles together? That time we never imagined I'll be recording episode number 305 with you. But here we are. Relationships and the bond of relationships far outweigh any other activity at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's what you're experiencing on the job every day. 100%. Which leads me to the next one of this. No organization can be successful without its people. Before we started this formal part of recording and having this conversation on this podcast, we talked quite a bit about your playing with CEO role. This is about, you mentioned earlier even on this podcast, this is 70-80% managing people at the end of the day, right? So how do you know who's good, who's bad? How do you hire somebody as a leader? Because you've got an org chart with all kinds of roles, VPs, CEOs mm-hmm. that you have to manage, presidents you got to manage. What makes a good leader? What's in the DNA? How do you even know, Steve, when you meet somebody? Uh, great question, Sri. I would defer back to my time at Walmart and Sam's Club. I got a lot of hiring and interview training while I was there. There's a lot of really smart HR people there, and there's a lot of good resources in these big companies. I use those skills every time I'm interviewing. I think part of it comes down to having clarity of what you're looking for. So your strategy and your structure play into what gaps you have and defining a clear job description. So by the time you're talking with people, you can clearly define what you need. And that person can explain whether they know how to do what you need. I think that's really important as a leader. Being able to read between the lines of, is this person a good culture fit? I didn't appreciate culture before joining Walmart, but Walmart has an awesome culture. And you can tell pretty quickly in talking with people if they don't have the same core values. And so defining those core values in writing and living it, I feel is very important with recruiting the right people because you have to think about temperament and fit. And if you hire people outside of your core values, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel weird to everybody else. But if I asked you what are Kelso's two or three, I want to ask you for the whole detail, but if there are two or three things you wanted to point out that are core values that are important to you, what would they be? I'm sure ethics is up top, but outside of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say our core values are anything special. In fact, we're kind of refining the written exact words, but I'll ramble a couple things, right? So it's kind of at least out there for people to hear, you know, delivering on what we say we're going to do. Delivering on the promise. Deliver, yes. Keeping your promise for sure. Um, 
treating people with respect. Uh, now, does that happen converse when you're out in the field, you're inside a project venue, and in some cases residential, you're inside somebody's home, you said you went yourself to do estimations. Do people always treat you and your employees right? No, definitely not. Um, sometimes customers are the worst and we have to fire them, unfortunately. And So that happens where you fire a customer because absolutely. they're rude, nasty, disrespectful. Ab absolutely. My team and my employees are everything to us. And I don't need a customer that's going to make it hard on one of my employees or one of my team members. They're not going to be a good customer if that's how they interact with us, right? The trust so, is gone. Trust is gone. They're going to nitpick everything if they're, it, you, you have to sever some of those ties. And so I don't a hundred percent agree with the customers always number one, like the way Walmart is. And maybe that's just a shift in our industry. The general contracting industry is very rough. It's a service business. It's a service. It's not based. necessarily a product only business. Correct. And Service sometimes can be in misinterpreted, and I, I, I can't lose good I gave people. you my own example. I was curious why capacitor, right? But I did it the right way. I said, can you show me? Let's Google it together. Yeah. What's the purpose of a capacitor? And then the person took time to explain to me exactly where they fit. They took the device and showed me the hot cold and the fact that I was off by a few degrees. They showed me the backdrop of how this thing works. And we established trust with each other on... You're doing the right thing. You're charging me the right price. And at the end of the day, I will benefit. A hundred percent. But imagine you were a customer that was yelling and so mad and then didn't want to pay after the work was done, right? Like, so that does happen. 100%. Even in commercial. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Good golly. Yes. Those numbers can't be small. These numbers are larger. Yeah. So that leads me to ask you, we've talked a lot about all the positives and how good things are going. You've acquired <laughs> 10 companies. The early part of this, your first six months wasn't easy. You broke your ACL when you started this company three days in after acquiring, you were ready to fly out and you had to with a broken ACL, wheelchairing yourself. That's tough. What were some tough negative surprises that you had no idea would hit you? The list was so long, Sri. <laughs> I can imagine you're buying 10 companies. It can't be easy, but give us some highlights. I'll give you one that, that's almost comical at this point. It's, you know, managing a team and managing people. As many people on this podcast know, not everyone on your team is going to have the best interest of the company in mind. Sure. And so yeah. I would that's say... That's true even in a corporate setting. Yeah, right? And going back to the skills that we learned in running a big company, you have to apply that to your own team. and. Sometimes you have to part ways with people. And I would say that's probably one of the hardest things. I, I, I don't know if I had to part ways with anybody or if I did, it wasn't like to the degree of what we have to in a service-based company. Um, so it, it does happen every now and then? It does. It does. And we have a thousand employees now. And so inside of our that's organization- a very large team. Correct. And inside of our organization, there are people trading in and out. It's, it's a labor-based job. And so not everybody's has that to do been that. tough because COVID has officially ended. The CDC has declared it, but maybe, maybe that was only earlier this year. Is sourcing labor easy, hard? Is it settled? Is it it's still very, a challenge? It's very, very hard. To the day. Yes. Very, very hard. And that's one of the reasons why my strategy has evolved into acquisition because in order to hire a good talented person, you might have to hire five people. You might have to hire eight. You might have to hire 10 people and pay those other people to see that they're not a good fit to get that one person. So in our space, in the trades, in service, you Buy a company with 50 good people in it, that would take you years to accomplish organically. Well so, said. So well said. Great advice. I've definitely learned that the hard way. That's one of the things also is trying to grow an organic business in the trades business from scratch is hard. If you want to start a company from scratch in this space, 
or power to you. I would say it's very, very hard to get the right labor. So being able to hire a few people to do HVAC work is a good start. But if you want to grow to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, it'll take you many, many years and a lot of cost to get that sorted out. I had an employee once who was upset with me because I purchased a laptop for this person so she could work from home because she had kids. We were working this out. It was fine, but she wasn't happy with me because I bought her the wrong size of monitor for the laptop. But that can be corrected in a day. It, it can be corrected in a day, but back when we did this, computers were really hard to come by. They can be corrected in three months. Correct, in three months. And so I ordered her another one. But that was like one of those interactions. But they were where, upset because they didn't get exactly what they want on the day off. Yeah, a 15-inch monitor instead of a 17-inch. Would you go to your boss and be upset about that? I don't think so. I don't think my people come to me or the people that I meet every day. I think 15-inch, 17-inch, I don't know. Does it really make a difference? Like, I wear my glasses if I have to magnify it. You just make it work, right? And that's what I did here on this iPad as I talked to you. I took my glasses off, but I've magnified it, see? There you go. You made it work, right? Exactly. So, so not everybody's built like us. And I think that was one of the hardest things for me to realize going into this is a lot of times in the corporate world, we fix stuff all day long and we're developing high we level. hide other people's mistakes accidentally. It's not the intention, but that's the outcome. Yes. You are in some ways a pleaser in a big organization because you can't ruffle feathers all the time. And that's the way I was. I'm a service oriented person. I want to serve my partners. I want to serve my team. I like to be a servant leader and Walmart trains us all to be very much like that. And so going into this environment, I realized that people can take advantage of you when you are that way. Understood. My, my rule, Steve, is I follow an 80-80 principle. You have to get it right or please 80% of the people and you got to do it 80% of the time. Okay. Those are my benchmarks. Like I if like I that. fail to get the 280s, I've actually failed. Okay. But if That's I cross the 80s and someone's not happy, odds are they're not happy just because they don't want to be happy. Or they don't appreciate what they have in front of them. I love that. I love that. And that, that was another thing that was very hard for me is I wanted to please everyone. And, and to me, Steve, why that happens is the person sitting across the table who wants to be pleased and doesn't fit that 8080 is probably feeling a sense of entitlement to something and they don't want to let go. 100% agree. And, and in that scenario, no matter if you got a 17-inch monitor, they'd have probably said the HD resolution wasn't good enough because you didn't get 4K. <laughs> That's right. It would have been something else and something, something else, else and something else. Not enough USB-C ports, only yes. B ports. Yes. So, Steve, what a fascinating conversation, right? Again, if I tried to recap this, I'd have to write a book for you. But <laughs> we started this conversation all the way up top. You come from a Walmart and Sam's Club background. You decided one day in the spring of 2021, I'm going to play out my ambition to be an entrepreneur. And, and you weren't shooting for starting something. You were playing for Major League Baseball on day one. And you called your best friend from grade school, fourth grade, Kelso Elementary. Now I know the secret behind yep, that. Yep. You all started this thing, got private equity funding, raised a bunch of money, started acquiring, and you're not even halfway there. You got yep. ways to go in your acquisition. Turn back two years, all of a sudden, you have a 1,000 employees working for you. It's 10 companies. You're north of, you said, $250 million in revenue? Yeah. And um, the last question, therefore, listening to all of that in the CPG, guys, is always the same for every guest who comes. We call it fast forward. What's next? Okay. What's next? More of the same, more of the same. I want to build a billion dollar company. I want so that's a billion in revenue? A billion in top line revenue. Uh, we're a quarter of the way there. I have, take it another three to five years? I would say three to five years. Knowing you, there. I'll bet on you getting there. <laughs> I have things in the works that will get us there pretty quickly. Yeah. So how often are you exploring that opportunity to get to that goal? Is it monthly, once a month, twice a month, all the time? Honestly, with how good our team is now, every day. So do you have an acquisition? Did you say every day? Every day I'm working on it, every single day. So every day you're either working on an existing opportunity that's come by your way, you're hunting something new, 
Uh-huh. Are you still going to the website you gave us, Biz Buy Sell? <laughs> Every day. So that is a hack. It's a hack. It's totally a hack. I would definitely say that was one of the edges that got us to our rat. Now it's nice. We're a much bigger organization. A lot of people come to us. Probably a number of the companies we were able to buy because someone emailed or called me directly. A number of our businesses that we acquired were because of my LinkedIn and focusing no on kidding. LinkedIn. Yes. Yeah. How? Tell 100%. me more. Who in the space is looking? That's fascinating. Who in the space is looking at LinkedIn? Less than you. I found that when you and I interacted, we used LinkedIn more than text messaging. That's kind yeah. of odd. Yeah. I think we may have connected many years ago because of LinkedIn as well, right? That I is true. give there a lot of credit to the platform they built. The younger generation of owners in our space are all on LinkedIn. Um, gotcha. In the mechanical HVAC plumbing space. The older generation, I'll give it, you know, much lower percentage, but still sometimes they get on there, but they can see if I message them, I'm in their industry. I speak their language. I'm sincere. I have a track record. And you got this corporate background behind you. And yeah. And I've, a fortune one, not just a company. Yeah. I've been investing in my LinkedIn since like oh, I, I forever. Know. Right? I know. You know, yeah. right? And so when someone comes on there, they can see I'm not a fly by night because we're all hitting with spam constantly, right? I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I love connecting with other owners. So I would just give people the advice today of, Focus on your LinkedIn, build your career, learn your leadership skills, start looking at biz by sell. How awesome. So um, let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content by going to a web browser. Simply go to cpgguys.com as the URL. And if you think your company has some thought leadership to contribute to our community discussion like Steve did today, fascinating story again, <laughs> drop us an email at contact at cpgguys. Again, that's contact at cpgguys. And maybe you can join us. On the podcast, don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgguys.com on the navigation bar at the top of our website. And thank you, thank you, thank you, because you shaped the show to the 23,100 plus followers we have on LinkedIn. We know that's larger than most companies that exist on LinkedIn, but the show wouldn't shape without you. Steve, thank you for driving all the way in 90 minutes to come over and do this podcast. But the amount of pearls of wisdom you've thrown on the audience today, fascinating. So thank Thank you for joining me and driving out here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, man. And I will close out this episode by saying that's a wrap. See you soon in another episode of the CPG Guys. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.